0: Welcome back to Conversations That Matter, the podcast. Uh, It's Holly Reed speaking here, and I am back with Kaylee um, Jenkins, who has come back for more. We decided that after our conversation previous about um, Pride Month and all those lovely topics that there was a lot left to discuss. So we're back here with the unfiltered edition, and we're going to dive into (laughs) more detail on these topics and have a bit more of a... Um, informal conversation for anyone who's interested in hearing more about our experiences and the experiences of those in our lives that we interact with and things like that. So, um, I'll open it up first, Kaylee. If there's anything else you wanted to start with where we left off, or resituate yourself or us or anything like that, and then we can get going with some questions from there. Sure. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me back. It's it's nice to keep chatting. Um,
1: yeah, I guess I realized we just jumped into it last time and didn't really situate our relationship at all, so that might be a good place to start. Um, Holly and I went through the UBC OT program together. How many years ago now was that? How long has it been?
0: We started in 2017.
1: 2017. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's been it's been a hot second. So we're 2021 now, four years. Um, yeah, and I just feel that even after the program, we may be connected a little bit more, um, and have gotten to know each other really well. Um, and Holly's just been, yeah, a really amazing clinical support, a really amazing personal support in my life. Um, so this was just a really neat opportunity to be invited to have this sort of dialogue, um, in a podcast
0: context. Mm -hmm, Totally. I agree. I think we, it's interesting we connected a little bit more after the program and, um, there was like a personal evolution happening for me within the program. And I'm sure I'm sure you would agree that I, I changed throughout the course of the two years and since then especially. But it was interesting because in the program, we didn't connect on the same levels that we do now. Yeah. So being able to come back and have a conversation on sexuality and gender and topics that are relevant in our personal life, in our professional life it's really interesting and it's something that I've been enjoying diving into more with you as we engage on social media and now on this podcast so I'm glad that you're here and um, engaging in this conversation more because I think there's so much left that we can discuss.
1: Oh yeah absolutely no thanks so much it's, it's always good to to chat about these things especially especially with good friends you're always a, a safe place to talk to, um, about these things with so I appreciate that a lot.
0: Oh, Awesome, I'm glad to hear it. So um, I guess I'll start with, it may be a big question, it depends what direction we take it in, but when you're navigating topics about gender and sexuality and, you know, trans rights and things like that, in your personal or professional life, you can take it whichever direction you like, okay. what do you find the biggest challenges are? Oh. There's so many challenges, aren't there? That's that's sad to say right off the bat. Um,
1: I think the challenges that present themselves in my personal life and in my professional life are very different. They feel very separate. So maybe I'll start with my personal life and then move on to my professional life, if that makes sense to kind of split them apart. Um, you know, I think in your personal life, the relationships are just deeper a lot of the time right because you know you're personally invested in in your relationships and I'm speaking about you know partnerships friendships um family relationships um and a lot of those relationships are really formative um I think in terms of the years when you start to really figure out your identity and who you are as a person. So, you know, for a lot of us that are members of the queer community, those relationships and that identity are very much wrapped up in each other and it can be hard to separate them sometimes. Um, And, you know, I'm I'm thinking specifically like family gatherings come to mind. There's also, you know, that notion of just differing lifetimes, differing experiences, differing stories and narratives and, trying to kind of meet somewhere in the middle sometimes can be difficult, right? Um, I think I'm, I'm super privileged in my per- personal life to have friends and family members, you know, for the most part who are really supportive of, of who I am. And, you know, it, it feels so distant um, to that experience when you do, do come across somebody who, who isn't necessarily as, as supportive. Um, And sometimes that can feel incredibly jarring. And I I have to admit, like, I still don't really know how to engage in those conversations a lot of the time um, because they just catch me so off guard um, sometimes. And, you know, you don't really realize who may have differing opinions to you until these conversations come up. And then it's like, oh, I'm dealing with it in the moment. And you're trying to tread lightly sometimes because, you know, a lot lot of the time in your personal life, there are relationships that you want to preserve um, and I think a really big part of that is that, you know, the whole notion of calling out versus calling in, right? And, you know, calling in being, you know, a lot of the time I want to pr- preserve my relationship with this person. And the reason that I'm, I'm calling them into this conversation is because I, I want to explore this narrative more and maybe meet on a, a more common ground. So I think that, that piece is really key um, in my personal life, at least, um, I don't know, would you agree with that?
0: Yeah, I I would agree with everything you just said. And how would you explain the difference between calling in and calling out? Because I know this has been a bit of a hot topic Mm. for folks lately, and especially during Pride Month, I've seen things out Mm -hmm. there and people talk about let's do more calling in, less calling out and cancel culture and all of that. And we don't need to get into cancel culture right now because it's perhaps a bit of a tangent we don't want to go on. But how would you (laughs) define those two differently?
1: Yeah, oh, that's a really good question. I think for me, when I think about calling in, I always picture and this is ironic because I don't like sports, um, and I'm not super invested in sports, but like that notion of having a huddle in sports ball, right, like where you're inviting people in to have a conversation about how things can be bettered um, in the situation that you're in right now. And so for me, when I picture calling in or times I have been ca- called in, um, a lot of the time it's been by loved ones or or towards loved ones. And, and the undertone to that is, you know, hey, maybe you have more privilege or more power than I do Or, hey, maybe I want to actually get into this more and to develop our relationship. I need to talk about this more with you. But, you know, here's something that's on my mind. Um, And I think that is sort of what I picture when I picture calling in um, versus calling out, which to me is a bit more explicit. And that notion of... of, um, you know, a lot of times in our current climate right now, like publicly or even on social media, um, drawing attention to how somebody's words or actions or behaviors might be perceived as oppressive by other people. Um, And I don't think, to me anyway, when I think about the difference between the two, calling out, you don't necessarily need to have a a real, you know, relationship with somebody before you're doing that versus like when when I picture calling in a lot of the time, it is sort of that there is that that relationship already or that you'd like to sort of form that relationship with that in mind mm-hmm. um, if that
0: makes sense I don't know if that makes sense it does. Yeah, I think it totally makes sense. And the idea of building a connection, because calling in, you're inviting somebody into some knowledge that you may be able to share with them. And and I think the focus being how it's productive moving forward. Mm-hmm. Calling out, I think, can feel very much like an attack, and there's less chance that the person may be open to learning, whereas calling in, yeah. welcome, welcoming them into your space, if you feel safe to do that, and saying, hey, this is what I'm hearing. This is what I think. Is there a place that we can come together and maybe do learning at both ends? And it just feels like more mm-hmm. of a, um, yeah, like I really like the idea of like a huddle, like coming together, like let's do, let's work on this together. And mm-hmm. I think overall the, having a similar goal, like, you know what, let's do better together. Um, so I just wanted your thoughts on that. So thank you. It's it's always interesting to hear what people have to say about it because it's, it's big right now. You'll totally. see all over the place, people calling out left, right and center. And sometimes it just needs to happen. I totally acknowledge that. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, 100%, and I think, yeah, you touched on something really neat there with the, the word welcoming, I think, too, because that that is the undertone of, of calling in. It, it's trying to, yeah, create that, that common ground and that safe space to engage in those really important dialogues, um, and there's absolutely a space for both, I think, and especially in allyship, there's definitely a place for both, and I think, you know, that's a really key part of um, being an ally is just being open to both. Being open to being called out, being open to being called in, learning from both um, and really implementing that learning through your actions.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I think the implementation piece is huge and knowing Mm -hmm. how to move it forward in in a safe and productive way. Again, like I said, and one thing that I've learned, probably one of the most impactful things that I've learned from other queer and trans people is um, just the power of saying like, hey, I really don't know. And like, yes. what's what's your thoughts on this without burdening them with doing all the, all the work, but just yeah. being vulnerable enough to say, like, hey, I'm really unsure about this, but I want to do better. And being an ally in that way, even myself as someone who's in the community and then also trying to be an ally to those who I don't share an identity with. Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
1: Oh, that's so key. Yeah, I, I love that you brought that up. That's been for sure a huge and maybe I can. Digress to the professional side here too. Um, I think that's been a really huge learning piece for me um, because there are times in my work where you know, as a as a as a person who has a queer identity, where I think like, oh, I can jump in here. Like, <laughs> we have a shared experience. Um, maybe you know, maybe we can tackle this together. Um, and a lot of the times, really, the right answer is just to seek information and support and resources from people who are experts. Um, and I'm super fortunate to be connected with some really, really amazing programs and amazing humans and the work that I do who have just taught me so, so, so much. Um, and I'm very, very humbled by that and super, super grateful that there are people who are willing to share their time. Time is really valuable um, to to educate myself and to educate others. That's just so incredibly invaluable, I think, as, as a therapist to have those
0: connections. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And since we're talking about professional environments, have there been areas of work where you've had to do a lot more calling in or calling out than you would have anticipated or maybe less than anticipated? Mm. You mean like sort of outside of OT practice, like in history? or um, Like within your OT work, actually. Oh, okay. So like at work or if they're doctors or other folks who are mm. perhaps not as um, aware of what's relevant right now. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Maybe I can share, share an example. Um,
1: I had a situation a couple a couple years, I guess now um, ago where politics were just consistently coming up at work, like all the time, like during rounds, everybody wanted to talk about, about politics and they, they were becoming incredibly charged conversations, of course, because it's something that people feel, um, you know, very passionate about. Um, and a lot of the conversation was centering around Um, you know, some hot topics that people were very divided on, um, and I felt that that was impacting relationships in the workplace. Like, it was just very, it was very tense, um, and I don't think that everyone was maybe understanding how, you know, this conversation was being perceived by those of us who were on the more marginalized end of the group, Um, and so I was very, very nervous to bring that up. (laughs) It's always it's hard to be the person to call people out. Um, you know, and I've I've been on both ends of it. I've been called out and I've called people out. And I think it's hard both ways <laughs> in different ways. Um, but I was really glad that I did because it's something that somebody told me once that's always stuck with me is that it's always gonna be easier for me a- as a white cisgendered person to call people out than than those who are less fortunate than me. So even though that feels really hard to me and I think about things like oh maybe that'll make my work day more difficult. You know, at the end of the day, that's really not a huge risk for me um in in context for for what that risk can look like for for other folks. So that's something that I try to keep in mind when opportunities present themselves for for me to call people out or call people in. Um and it's been very helpful to give me I think a bit more bravery than than I have at baseline. Um, and I was really glad that that I called those people out. It wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. You know, I I thought in my head, I catastrophize, right? I think a lot of us do to some extent, empathetic people. So, you know, I was worried that it would just be awful and people would take it the wrong way and then it would be even more tense and it would backfire and all. And of course, people were like, oh, no, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize that you were feeling that way. Let me change my actions. And it was great. So a good lesson for me to not
0: always, um not always catastrophize for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what about you? Yeah, it's an interesting question because I can't necessarily, like, change how visible I am, um, mm, but people yeah. perceive me in different ways. So, I mean, for listeners who haven't seen me, it's kind of hard to describe. Like, when I say I present masculine of center, like, a, perhaps a more androgynous appearance, whatever mm-hmm. somebody wants to label it. Um, but I've learned, actually, it was a, a therapist that I was seeing at the time who said told me something that I have really taken with me moving forward, and she said that you will never be able to control how other people perceive you. And so I thought, okay, mm-hmm. so I have no influence on how someone else perceives me because they're, you know, their own worldview and, world and lived experiences are going to inform the lens that they bring into everything they do. And that's true Absolutely. for all of us.
1: Mm-hmm. So when she
0: said that, I was like, okay, so people are going to perceive me however they want and I have no control over that, so I can let that go. I'm going to present however is genuine for me. Mm-hmm. And so the reason I bring that up is because to a lot of people, um, I'm somewhere in on the queer spectrum, but people generally don't really know. I still get questions about my gender, my sexuality, which is fine. I try and navigate that as delicately as I can. Yeah. Um, but at work, I've, I've been put in situations, not in my current job, I'll make that very clear. This was in my other mm-hmm. jobs. As I mentioned, I've had a few. I was working in acute care at the time and people would just straight up ask me, you know, um, I have a queer family member. And what do you think about this? But I was trying to do my OT work. So I would have to set a boundary mm-hmm. and say like, okay, well, um, you know, it it sounds like this is something that's hard for you. Like I would try and just like validate their experience without diving into my own because the focus was really on something completely different. Um, uh-huh. And I wouldn't call them out, but I would, I would try to gently call them in and say, you know, um, I really have to focus on what I'm doing with your family member or whoever the client was, but I hear this experience is important for you. Um, And then with my colleagues, it would be different in that I would sometimes have to do a bit more like education. So like, oh, we really shouldn't be using that language. Here's what we can use instead. Mm -hmm. So there's definitely been instances where I have to do a bit of calling in or calling out. But honestly, at least within BC, I don't know about other provinces, but the the other therapists and other clinicians that I've had the privilege of working with have been generally like very open-minded and open to feedback, mm-hmm. but initially sometimes can come across as like very opinionated. And it's only when you really have a relationship or some type of rapport with them that there's like, okay, wait, there's some mm-hmm. room here. I can I can help you a little bit so that you hopefully don't run into these problems in the future. So that's what I would say about that. But yeah, it it really has changed over the years. So I don't know. That's I don't so can... interesting. Yeah. So interesting. Thank you for sharing that. It's it's so great to talk to you about this because I feel like in a
1: lot of ways, our experiences are very, they're very polar and they're almost complementary to talk about because, you know, for me, I don't, typically, per, like I don't present in a way where people automatically perceive me to be a part of this community, right? Um, you know, especially being in sort of a, a relationship that presents as, as cis-heterosexual in, in my partnership in life. So a lot of the times when they do try to engage in, in conversations about queerness at work or, you know, to lead groups during Pride Month that are queer-centric, there's that question of like, okay, well, you don't belong here in this conversation, right? And then, oh, yeah. then I'm having to you know all of a sudden divulge information that I may not have otherwise in order to like I don't know develop some street cred I guess you know okay. so I'm I'm sure. having I'm having to share things that I that I otherwise wouldn't have if I hadn't have been called out by people just because of the, the way that I present so it, it's so interesting to hear about how how polar those experiences are I think they're really difficult in different ways um, it, it, it just be- speaks to the fact that you know each of us that is a member of the queer community and I'm just using queer as an umbrella term for, for this entire community but it, our experiences are all so incredibly different. They're so different and it, it it's so tempting to be prescriptive and to assume that you understand somebody else's narrative just because of your own or because of similarities between yours and theirs but at the end of the day it's, it's just so incredibly different.
0: Yeah that's such a good point because we there will be some shared experiences with like things that are uncomfortable, things we battles we have to fight, and and things like that. But then our our lived experience of walking into a room and like I'm assumed to be queer and you're assumed to be not, and like hmm. like you said, calling it street cred, like, being like Wait, hold on, like, it's okay, I'm. I'm queer, but you don't need to know my exact identity for this to be valuable information. And yet for me, I'm like, okay, like I don't really wanna tell you everything, but like, you yeah. <laughs> like, really trust my input if it's about queer things without even knowing my experience. So we do mm-hmm. come from this at very different angles. And I would think, and correct me if I'm wrong, so please speak to this after yeah, of I course. say it, but for you, does it feel invalidating when people assume that you are cis, straight, and not a member of the community?
1: Yeah, I think so. I, one of my friends recently described it as, um, and, and very definitely so as, as like imposter syndrome, but that sense of like, I don't feel that I belong without having to explain an entire narrative or who I am as a person and, and why, um, I'm a valid member of, of the community. And I think that that is, is very common for a lot of people in, in our community. Like it's not just my experience, um, for sure, but, um, yeah, like that no- notion of of imposter syndrome creeping up in so many different parts of my life. <laughs> it's it's hard to navigate for sure. And it, yeah, it does it does feel feel invalidating for sure. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. yeah. Are there things that people do that validate it more? So, like, so for people who don't know you or know your queerness, is is there certain things that feel like okay, I feel more seen, even just in the space without directly acknowledging it? Just for I'm just trying to get a better understanding. Mm. I think it's more of a feeling.
1: I hate to say that because <laughs> it's not, you know, providing any any sort of concrete advice. But I think, um, you know, a lot of us who are a part of this community, we 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 just sense and we know when somebody is a, a safe place for us and when somebody's not. Um, and you know, whether that's because of, of past experiences or past trauma, you know, maybe. Um, but I think, you know, cultivating relationships with people who validate that when you need it to be validated and just kind of accept it when it doesn't need to be explicitly validated like that's equally important right just people who can sit with you and just be and accept all all of you right regardless of whether or not like it's you like gardening you like cooking you're a parent you're queer whatever like all of all of those important parts of you and I think you can validate those things directly and indirectly um just through how you make people feel
0: when they're with you. Mm -hmm. that makes sense sense for sure and a lot of life is just that feeling that that vibe that people give you when you walk into a room Mm -hmm. and maybe it's part of being an OT or maybe it's the reason that some of us go into OT it's just this like way of being the way that we exist in the world and that human connection you can yeah you can sense it right away um, without making assumptions it's like you walk into the space and like oh okay this feels like a safe space I'm going to connect here
1: yeah absolutely Can I ask a kind of personal question just to circle back to something you said earlier and feel free to say if you don't want to answer it. But you mentioned that you changed a lot throughout our program and you feel that you kind of had, you know, this kind of metamorphosis throughout our program. Do you think that there was anything explicit that caused that or do you feel that you were just coming into your own more? Like, what do you think influenced that when we were in school?
0: Oh, that's such a good question. And I mean, I could spend the rest of the podcast talking about (laughs) talking about that but I do kind of have it narrowed down to a few things that really um, I've reflected on and how they have impacted me so when I came into the program in 2017 I moved to Vancouver from Vancouver Island and that was my first time moving any distance from my family and friends and I didn't know anybody heading into the program and so I essentially got to recreate who I am or Mm -hmm. show up as like my most authentic identity but quickly realized like okay i don't actually really know my most authentic identity so mm. we got to do some exploring here and it started with like started with like cutting off my hair i think i mentioned that in the last podcast episode so it started there and then from that point it was a constant exploration of what feels like my most true gender expression but with that comes the work of gender identity mm-hmm. so for those who are listening who that may not be so familiar with this, these terms gender identity is our felt gender so inside Um, It's a combination of how we interpret our hormones, our environment, everything around us and who we are, our thoughts, our feelings, all of that formulates how we perceive our own gender inside. And then gender expression is how we show up in the world, knowing our Mm -hmm. gender identity and how much of that we choose to express to others. And so for me, there was a huge disconnect there. My -hmm. felt gender was very different than how I was showing up every, every day. And then that causes what's called gender dysphoria. So having gender dysphoria can vary for people. Some people experience it. Some people don't. And so with that, I tried to constantly find, okay, so what relieves this dysphoria? And for me, it was making changes to my gender expression. So I would show up one day to school and my hair would be short. The next day I would show <laughs> up and I'd have like an extra ear piercing in one side, but only one side. <laughs> and I started exploring with fashion. And I remember showing up one day and I wore suspenders and um, like dress pants and a dress shirt. And I matched myself. Oh, remember, socks remember that my day. Shirt. Do you? I do. Yes. It was an excellent outfit. I do remember that.
1: That's so great.
0: (laughs) Yeah that's funny that you remember that. I definitely remember it because I remember being nervous when I walked out the door of like how is this going to be received and what are people going to think like fear of judgment but uh, I've slowly worked through some of that and I only say some of that because it's still scary (laughs) to show up in the world and not know what people are going to think but yeah, um, so it's just been these moments of like having the insight like reflecting and be like okay like what is true today what am I going to do with that and then trying to show up but there was never one moment that was like oh this is who I am it's been a constant exploration and it's been the most enjoyable four years of my life but my gosh identity work is like the most intense thing I have ever done and I think I just needed the space to go and do it away from my friends and family as much as I love them I just needed to be surrounded by people who were like, who's Holly? And I was like, "Uh oh, who is Holly?
1: <laughs> yeah, totally. Oh, that's yeah. amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that. I know that's a huge question to tackle. That sounds like really, really important, self-reflective, exhausting work <laughs> <that> you're
0: doing. <laughs> I think, like, honestly, it just came in a condensed period because a lot of people explore their gender and sexuality, probably more so their sexuality. Um, During like the formative teenage years, early 20s. But yeah, I, to be very honest, I was just so focused on becoming an OT that I was like, you know what, that stuff's gonna wait. I knew there was something there. Like it was kind of like below the surface. And I was like, I just don't have the energy right now to like figure myself out. I'm going to focus on all my career goals and personal life can wait a bit. And then once I started OT school and I like met you and a few others who I won't name directly, um, I was like, uh oh, I can feel this is like causing a bit of a change in me. So the people Mm -hmm. in your life play a huge role. And I guess to kind of summarize so we can move on is like surrounding yourself with people who just kind of understand a little bit or a lot about that experience. So I didn't know queerness until I showed up to OT school. And my gosh, there's a lot of queerness in the world. And I was like, this is amazing. And it just, (laughs) yeah, to to change how I want to be seen. I love that. Oh, that's such a wonderful, beautiful answer. Thank you for sharing that. I think
1: there is definitely the vernacular in the queer world of, of chosen family and how incredibly important chosen family is. And I think that's kind of what I was getting at, but you said more articulately, when we think about how people can make you feel safe to um, To express any of th- those parts of yourselves, and you know, having those people in your life who are your your chosen family who have similar experiences, um, that's just
0: so huge, not it? it's such a huge part. Mm-hmm, definitely, and I'm fortunate that I'm still close with my uh, blood family. I don't know, chosen family <laughs> like my the family I was born into. Luckily, <laughs> I I'm still embraced and supported there and everything. But having chosen family and, and friends is just so wonderful. Um, and so I'm wondering if you have any thoughts for your own version of this, where you came into who you are and when that felt very real for you, if you're willing to share. Yeah, well, it's a huge question.
1: I think I'm still very much in the middle of it, in the beginning of it, in the middle of it, somewhere somewhere in the first few chapters, I guess, of the book. <laughs> Similarly <laughs> to you, I feel like um, maybe we have a bit of a similar narrative in that, I've known that I wanted to be an OT from the time I was very, very young, like to the point where the OT that I shadowed when I was 12 was the OT that I shadowed on OT shadow day. And he remembered me because I was such a nerd for OT. So (laughs) that is like the coolest OT moment. It was, and I didn't know it was going to be him either. So that was actually an aha moment, for sure. Um, yeah, so I, so much of my life was wrapped up in that, um, and wrapped up in the anxiety of that of trying to get into this program um, just pouring countless hours into studying and you know really uh, that was a lot of my brain time it was a lot of my energy and it's ironic but for me too i feel that all of a sudden i maybe had more time to think about who i was as a person once i started ot school which and, and maybe i need to do some noodling of that and to think about exactly why that is because I, I guess for me, it was definitely a sense of all of a sudden having so many deeply like-minded people in my life, which I don't feel that I really had before. So, you know, that there's a whole lot of unlearned learning that needed to happen there. And and similarly, may- maybe to you, that didn't really start to happen until I broke away from that and, and started asking myself, who am I as a person? And one of the things that I love about the queer community and identifying with that community is that you don't have to have a concrete answer. You don't have to have an explicit answer of like, this is exactly who I am and how I express myself. And I just know all these things about myself. I, th- I think identifying as part of this community to some extent is acknowledging that it's you're on that journey. Um, and, and you're trying to learn more about those parts of yourself. So I, I feel like that that journey very much began for me, you know, sort of after high school and as I started university and kind of came to a head, I guess, like in the OT program and similarly to you, I think I just had some wonderful people to talk to about so many different parts of my life, right? Um, and I think too, just from a therapeutic perspective, working in the practice area that I do um, in mental health, um, I, I've had so many wonderful opportunities to, to learn, um, from my clients, from my queer clients, from my trans clients, from my two spirity clients, um, and to hear narratives that it sometimes felt very similar to mine, and to really enter that space of um yeah, sometimes I guess therapeutic conversations and and self-disclosure in a way that's that's really helpful. Um I feel like I've learned a lot about myself just through listening to the narratives of others, if if that makes sense. And um identifying parts of it that feel similar um so i think ot for me weirdly has been a huge part of that now Mm -hmm. that i'm verbalizing it um and maybe i didn't realize that until just now but i love our profession it leaves space for these musings
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for sharing all of that. And it's really interesting to hear the the overlap in the timeline. Like we were earlier, we were talking about how polar opposite we we are in some ways with our mm-hmm. experience. But then there's a, a shared knowing or a shared learning that happened during the period of OT school. And perhaps, like you said, it's being in a, a classroom full of such like-minded people. And whether that's queer folks or not, I think there's a this level of reflection that happens and engagement that allows us to sit and and disclose however however much we want or connect in different ways that perhaps was unexpected for both of us so that's really neat it's really interesting
1: yeah totally it is interesting isn't it it's nice to say all that out loud
0: (laughs) good question holly (laughs) (laughs) um so on that note you had mentioned personal disclosure and i'm wondering how How have you navigated that or learned that as a relatively new clinician, like when to disclose things and queerness or not? I'm just mean like personal things about yourself. How has that experience gone for you? That's such a huge question. I know
1: I'm saying that a lot. It is a huge question. It's a difficult question to answer. Um, You know, I think for the most part, most of us that are called to helping professions into therapeutic professions feel a sense of a deep sense of empathy for for our clients. And along with that, you know, comes the capability to find similarities between your stories, between your narratives, between your feelings. And so for me, when I when I'm getting to know a client and building rapport with them, it's natural for me to build those connections right in my head, whether or not I say them out loud. Um, So. For me, you know, and again, I'll come back to the fact that I work in tertiary mental health. So I, most of my clients are are staying in our program for sort of a six to nine month stay. So I really have opportunities to build it like a deep sense of rapport that I never got in acute care. So for me, like when I was working in acute care, it it didn't make sense really to disclose any parts of myself, right? Because I was working in orthopedics, so it was sort of like do all the discharge things, get in, get out do the map forms and you're done for the day kind of thing. Right. Whereas it's much more fluid and a lot of more gray areas, I think in mental health and there, there is space um, for self disclosure. So I'll use an example of a a group that I sometimes run at at work. So the overarching theme of the group is life skills, right? So originally when I started this group, I was thinking about things like budgeting and um, you know, buying a home, things like that right like very sort of like concrete independent living skills um and then it became very apparent that that just wasn't relevant and and it wasn't what people wanted to talk about and what they wanted to work on so I went from having sort of three to four people in the group to saying okay you know what this isn't working I just want to hear about what other people want to talk about um let's try that and then all of a sudden we had sort of like 15 people in the group and some things that came up as things that people really wanted to talk about, engage in dialogues about, were things that did feel relevant to me, um, like like queerness, um, and it, I think there became a space in that group, a safe space in that group, to have a bit more of a reciprocal conversation, um, and that that to me was like a huge a huge learning experience because up until then I felt very much like a, there wasn't just really a lot of a place for self-disclosure at all but in engaging in those conversations that my clients had personally identified were meaningful to them and things that they really wanted to prioritize um it became more important to to do that so that that was a huge learning experience for me for sure um i'm running that group and and I'm, yeah again i'm just i'm super lucky to work in a practice area where i get to know people over over a longer period of time and, and those conversations come up a bit more organically
0: Mhm. Yeah, I, I was just reflecting on what you said about working with people for 6 to 9 months. Was that the time period that you said?
1: Usually it's about that,
0: yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's like starting a friendship or there's a period of time where I think you said in your head you're even like okay how does this person kind of fitting in with my life and I of course it would be in like a professional context but mm-hmm. it, you're really engaging in a professional relationship with this person in a therapeutic way and there's therapeutic use of self so when Absolutely. you reflected on this session or this group that you're running that wasn't necessarily working that well and then when you said okay let's have a dialogue or let's start a discourse all of a sudden 15 people showed up like that tells you that people want to engage in a different way so I think that was probably a really valuable experience for them and then for you to be able to connect to some of their stories and their narratives and they're in there for perhaps mental health reasons like that's that shows that we all have a human experience whether it's um, queerness or not so thank you for sharing that it's making me yeah it's making me think about it more deeply and I started off my own practice in mental health uh, for the first six or seven months and I can definitely echo what you said about having deeper relationships with people because some of my clients it was typically returned to work for people who had a mental health diagnosis. And so mm-hmm. it's not like, Hey, let's go back to work tomorrow. There's a lot of planning that happens. Mm-hmm. So I would meet with them weekly and we'd set a plan. We'd set a goal and, you know, I'll see you next week and let's chat about how it goes. And mm-hmm. in a one hour session, sometimes 45 minutes of it would be just like, you know, wiping tears away and saying like, you know, what, what's going on. And you connect with people in a, in a totally different way than my other jobs in in acute care where it's 15 minutes, your hip looks great. Your mobility is good. Off you go. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I just wanted to echo what you said, because I experienced a similar thing in mental health, for sure. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It, it's such a wonderful practice area. I think I remember feeling very nervous about working in mental health, because I consider myself to be a very type A sort of black and white person. And why I became an OT still doesn't make sense to me, because we work so much in the gray, don't we? Like, there's just never an explicit answer. Um, and I think in mental health, a lot of ways, there there's just more room for um, creativity and for fluidity and to have these conversations because when you talk about somebody's mental health so many aspects of the self come into play with that in a way that they just don't in other practice areas so thank you for making me be yeah reflective about that I think it's something that probably all of us are thinking about maybe not even consciously right as therapists like how, how much do we disclose and how do we develop rapport without you know ha- overstepping boundaries in the relationship and all the rest of it i think it's a huge huge learning part especially as a new as a new grad right like everything is just so new and this is i think a huge learning curve for sure
0: oh definitely yeah i can't even tell you how many shirts i sweat through in my first couple months it's <laughs> like okay i don't want to mess this up like caring so much then also like not wanting to cross any boundaries but having to set boundaries for the first time and then looking around being like where's my preceptor oh no wait i'm the ote like, yeah. <laughs> I think it's all all those areas of discomfort, and perhaps that's a bit of a tangent not related to Pride Month at all, but I think it's still important as a new therapist to be like, you know what? Like, it's okay to experience these feelings and it's tough to navigate, and perhaps experienced therapists too who step into a new area of practice.
1: Yeah,
0: for sure. Totally. Totally. That's a great point, too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So as we get to the end of our time here. Um, I'm just wondering if you have any final like thoughts or reflections or any takeaways r- related to Pride Month and beyond. Oh, another big question coming from you. Paul. Sorry, maybe I should <laughs> stop with the big questions.
1: No, I love it. I love it. Um, yeah, I think something that's come up for me a lot just in reflecting about our earlier conversation and this co- conversation today as well is how important it is to actually verbally engage in these dialogues. I think, and maybe that's just for me sort of as an auditory learner as well. It just, it makes what I'm feeling so much more explicit when I hear myself say it out loud or when I hear somebody else say something out loud. Um, But I don't think I maybe take enough time to do that in my life. And I think it's a really important way to reflect. Um, And so just having some time carved out this week to be cognizant of, you know, what Pride Month means to me, not only personally, but also, as a therapist. Like, I don't know if I've ever really contextualized it so explicitly in my work before. Um, and I'm realizing how important that is. Um, so I think that moving forward, um, I'm going to try and do that more. I'm, I'm going to try and have these conversations more and to explicitly set aside time for them because it's it's been a huge um, learning experience for me just talking with you today about our shared experiences, about our different experiences, how they impact our personal and professional lives it's it's just been very eye-opening and yeah i'm super grateful for the opportunity so thank you so much for having me
0: well awesome i'm really glad to hear that it's been not only helpful for other people who are going to listen to this but for you as well to engage in conversations and i think during COVID, for me, I know that it's been there's been less opportunity to engage in these type of conversations because sure. sh- these are usually the ones where I'd pull you aside at the bar, or at the coffee shop and say, like, hey, <laughs> yeah. this is going on. And we would have this co- this whole conversation yeah. in half an hour and then kind of move on and, and integrate it. So sitting down to do this, I think, is is great. And it's something that I'm definitely going to try and do more of as well. So maybe I'll try and reach out to other friends and mm-hmm. um, coworkers or and just have the conversations and ask the tough questions because the responses are going to be. Uh, very reflective. They're going to cause a lot of reflection, I should mm-hmm.
1: say. Yeah, absolutely. It's impossible to not to not reflect after a conversation like this.
0: <laughs> no, definitely. So Especially for, for those of us who lie in bed after and think, oh, I should have said that, or like, why did I say that? <laughs> oh, I know, I know. I'm terrible for that. Always have been, probably always will be. I'm starting
1: to accept that more about myself. <laughs> There's going to be 2 a.m., Kaylee that's like, oh, no, I didn't get water for that client. <laughs> I promise them I would. That's always going to be a part of me for sure.
0: <laughs> I
1: love it. I can totally
0: relate. Uh, well, thank you so much for coming back onto the podcast for a second episode. Yeah, of course, filtered version. It was awesome talking with you.
1: Yeah, it was so great talking with you too, Holly. Anytime. Hopefully, hopefully at a bar or coffee
0: shop next time. <laughs> hopefully, I'll be moving over pretty pretty soon, so we'll have to get together and oh, perfect. Um, Yeah, with our other queer community members and engage in more conversations. Oh, I love that. That sounds so fun. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you again. Yeah, no worries. Thank you so much, Holly.